Hello, I'm Connor Pope. This is In the News from the Irish Times, where we take a close look at the stories that matter. Today, why are MEPs Claire Daly and Mick Wallace in trouble with the European Parliament? The political careers of Claire Daly and Mick Wallace have been in step for more than a decade. Both were elected to the Dáil in 2011, and both quickly earned a reputation for being colourful and outspoken advocates of left-wing causes. Well, I want to tell you something. The people of Wexford that elected me to come in here didn't elect me to come in here and approve of your behaviour. They came in here, they put me in here to challenge us. Both were also elected to the European Parliament in 2019. Wallace as a representative for Ireland South and Daly for the Dublin constituency. Since then, Wallace has been the most regular contributor to parliamentary debates amongst Irish MEPs, with Daly not far behind him. But their use of that platform to champion views often shared by authoritarian regimes has caused bemusement across the EU, and it has gained them allies in state-run media in countries like Belarus, China and Syria. Listening to the relentless Russia phobia in this place, why are people surprised that Russia sees no uh, point in engaging with the EU? Wallace and Daly's increasingly radical positions on a number of issues caused tensions to spill over within the left group earlier this year. It's not often that Daly and Wallace feature in the headlines in Ireland, but that changed recently when they were censured by the European Parliament for breaching rules around election monitoring. So I would say over the past weeks and months, there has been increasing discomfort within the left group. The left group is the smallest parliamentary group, political group in the European Parliament. And it includes Claire Daly and Mick Wallace and Sinn Féin and also Luke Mink Flanagan. It would be seen as the most left wing political group in the European Parliament. Naomi O'Leary is the Irish Times Europe correspondent. There have been tensions growing for a while over some of their views, which we'll discuss a bit later, but they blew up within the left group in a closed doors meeting between MEPs this spring. And it was all over the issue of flight MH17. So just to recap, MH17 was a Malaysia Airlines flight from Amsterdam to Kuala Lumpur in 2014. A missile downed MH17 over Donetsk, Ukrainian territory controlled by Russian-backed separatists. The crash killed all 298 passengers and crew aboard, including 80 children. 193 of those killed were Dutch. This incident remains a very, very sensitive political issue between the Netherlands and Russia. And it's been the subject of a massive criminal investigation. So a Dutch-led international investigation found that the plane was shot down with a book anti-aircraft missile system, which is an old Soviet design. And the investigation found that this missile system had been transported into the territory of Ukraine, controlled by pro-Russian rebels from Russia across the Russian border on the day of the crash and that afterwards it was transported back into Russia again, minus one missile. So like many things, this event has been the subject of basically a disinformation war, particularly attempts by Russia to deflect blame onto others. And there's an ongoing trial of four suspects in absentia over the incident at the moment in The Hague. The questions before them now include, was the plane shot down by a Russian-made Buk missile? Was it fired from an area in eastern Ukraine held by pro-Russian separatists? And did the defendants play a role? It's extremely sensitive uh, between the Dutch and Russian governments. 
And the reason it became the subject of a blow up in the left group was because Mick Wallace, Claire Daly as well, but particularly Mick Wallace, had been submitting amendments to parliament resolutions seeking to water down declarations about Russia. Okay. And in one of the resolutions, uh, for example, he sought to delete a sentence that said that the European Parliament condemns Russia's illegal occupation of Crimea, which is the territory of Ukraine that Russian forces annexed in 2014. And in another amendment, he sought to delete a reference from another parliament resolution that said that the Dutch-led investigation found that that missile system belonged to Russian ground forces. So in the amendment that Mick Wallace submitted, that reference to Russian ground forces was taken out. So this was the step too far for one member of the left group, the Dutch MEP, Anja Anha Hazekamp, who is a member of the Party for the Animals. Okay. And it blew up into a row where the MEPs had a discussion. They expressed very different views about the topic of MH17. And essentially, my understanding is that not just Anja Anha Hazelkamp, but many MEPs in the group felt that they were not represented by the positions that Mick Wallace was putting forward on behalf of the group. Okay, and both Mick Wallace and Claire Daly have been censured by a European Parliament committee after travelling overseas to act as unofficial election monitors. Can you tell us that story? So Mick Wallace and Claire Daly were stripped of the right to take part in any official European Parliament election monitoring missions until the end of the year. And that was because of trips that they made to Venezuela in December 2020 and Ecuador in February 2021 as unofficial election monitors. In the case of Venezuela, the opposition had boycotted the election and the European Union said that the conditions were not in place for a fair election to be run in the circumstances. But Mick Wallace and Claire Daly travelled there and Wallace said on their podcast that they visited four different polling stations and then they subsequently publicly declared that the elections had been fair and transparent. So there are a number of reasons for the censure. So firstly, they didn't make clear when they were tweeting about the elections from verified Twitter accounts that identified them as MEPs, that this was a private kind of freelance mission. They were not official European Parliament election observers. And there was a feeling that because they weren't saying that in their tweets, that an innocent onlooker, including those that maybe they met on the mission in Venezuela, would assume that they were there in an official capacity and speaking for the European Parliament and giving their imprimatur onto yeah. this election when they were not. And then another issue is that visiting four polling stations and then making a declaration that the election was fine, it doesn't equate to an official election observation. Mm. And there's a fear that this could undermine the actual election monitoring that the European Parliament does, which costs about 45 million euro a year and involves months of preparation observers in polling stations throughout the country and lots and lots of hired experts to work on it. Mm. And then there was another issue, which was they expressed support for political support for a certain side in the election and also tweeted before the election had taken place. They are no-nos for election observation because you, you have to be seen as impartial and not influencing the result. So I understand that actually the Ecuadorian authorities complained about that in particular. And what does the sanction from this European Parliament Committee mean for Claire Daly and Mick Wallace? How does it impact on their work as MEPs or does it make any difference to that at all? This sanction doesn't actually mean very much. It's quite tokenistic. It's a temporary ban on missions that they would most likely not even be asked to take part in anyway. But what it reflects is a public expression of discomfort at their activities in visiting overseas governments. And it's actually part of a much broader discomfort with them 
Um, so throughout the pandemic, they have been traveling on unofficial trips at a time when official overseas trips were suspended because of the pandemic, including to Iraq to meet an Iran-backed militia and Syria to Damascus, certainly in the case of Mick Wallace. And this was combined then with several occasions in which they've used their speaking time in the European Parliament to echo what's quite widely seen by fellow MEPs as actual disinformation and propaganda of authoritarian regimes, particularly that of the Syrian dictator Bashar al-Assad and the Russian strongman Vladimir Putin. Can you give us an example of some of the comments that Claire Daly and Mick Wallace have been making that have caused eyebrows to raise at European level? There's a few key occasions where they have spoken in Parliament in a way that has picked up wider notice, I would say, throughout the European Parliament and at times caused shock and real anger, sometimes disgust. Uh, one is the speech of Claire Daly after the arrest of the opposition Russian leader Alexei Navalny. He was poisoned and flown to Germany and survived. And then he re-entered Russia again to continue campaigning, I suppose, and was straight away imprisoned by Russian authorities. And he remains in prison there. The European Parliament was discussing this issue and what policy towards Russia should be. There's quite a lot of support in the EU for making it clear to the regime of Vladimir Putin that if Navalny dies, there will be consequences. They want to put pressure on the regime to keep him alive. And Claire Daly stood up and made a speech in which she called Alexei Navalny a vicious racist. Racist on maybe 4% of the support in rallying hundreds and thousands in cities of millions. Hardly a mass movement. And we wouldn't be discussing him at all if he'd been arrested anywhere else other than in Russia. And then she said, you know, why aren't we talking about... And she listed a number of other people who'd been arrested in different countries for example, including some anti-lockdown protesters that had recently been arrested in Belgium. Okay. So that, that speech actually drew boos in the chamber. There was the boos and whistles and shouts of like, why don't you go to Russia? Stuff like that. One other example would be very recent. On a committee meeting again, a advisor to the US President Joe Biden came to give evidence or discuss and her name's Amanda Sloat and Mick Wallace uh, confronted her with a kind of defense, I suppose, of the uh, Assad regime, um, which aligns with the Assad regime's point of view, which is that the protests that broke out in Syria that challenged his regime and which were met with horrific repression that led to the arrest and torture of tens and thousands and the deaths of hundreds of thousands, that those to blame for this were rebels backed by the West in an attempt to topple the regime of Assad. This is the point of view of the Assad regime. And it's that there are no such thing as moderate rebels, basically, that these forces that were resisting Assad were jihadists backed by the West. So this is Mr. Wallace's point of view. He put it forth in, um, in, a, in this committee meeting with Amanda Sloat and said, I'd like to ask you, which is the more authoritarian? The Assad government that sought to defend the country from being overrun by genocidal extremists, or the US who helped arm and fund those extremists and now occupies a third of Syrian territory while stealing its oil, burning the wheat and imposing the most crushing unilateral sanctions regime in the world on the Syrian people? He suggested that United States policy in the Middle East was more authoritarian than Assad, essentially. Okay. 
How did that go down? Well, I think the timing was interesting. Right after that, Mr. Wallace himself travelled to Syria, to Damascus, and he has been meeting with people there. News about his visit has been spread on Twitter by pro-Assad Twitter accounts, and he has been posting pictures of tunnels and things like that, which generally support the regime point of view of the civil war in Syria. And he's now returned, he's since returned from Syria wearing a Syrian flag face mask, which he seems to have picked up there, um, and expressing support for the Assad regime in resisting outside invaders. So it's, it's very much the Assad version of history. Both Wallace and Daly have accused the European Parliament of being anti-Russian. What's the basis of those claims? There are a range of views in the European Parliament with regards to Russia. Um, so relations, the backstory is that relations to Russia have been strained by a number of factors, particularly the annexation of Crimea, but also before that, the invasion of Georgia in 2008. Also, cyber attacks, attempts to interfere with democratic processes, more recently, the poisoning of Alexei Navalny and his arrest. And during the pandemic, attempts at disinformation that come from a network of websites that pump out pro-Putin propaganda, for example, attempts to discredit and sow doubt about the safety of Pfizer COVID-19 vaccines, just as an example. So in this context, there's a range of reviews about what should be done in response. There's a kind of centre-to-centre-right Western European view that relations with Russia should be normalised and that trade should continue and that efforts should be made towards like a rapprochement with Putin. And this was recently advocated by the French and German leaders, Angela Merkel and Emmanuel Macron. They recently tried to get the whole EU on side with this, but they failed. We discussed the topic of Russia. It was a very engaging, but not an easy discussion. We couldn't agree on a basis to organise a meeting on a leadership level. And that was largely because of the other view, which is particularly strongly held in the Baltic and Eastern states that border Russia, but is not confined to them, which is that actually the threat posed by Russia is underestimated and that a hard, more hardline position towards Moscow is that's what's needed. Because if not, then the Putin regime will continue to do more things like annex parts of bordering states. And they want more things like more investment in defense capabilities. And they essentially argue that Europe is naive about Russia. In this spectrum, the views of Wallace and Daly on Russia tend to most closely echo the point of view of the Putin government itself on these matters. And that is that it's NATO and the West that's the aggressor, and that's provoking Russia into doing stuff like massive military maneuvers close to the EU border, and that incidents like Russian fighter jet incursions into airspace, which, by the way, do happen over Ireland, are all exaggerated and part of a Western agenda against Russia. Did you not hear the calls by some of the Russian foreign ministers about their concern over increasing um, naval activity by the US in the Black Sea? Two US warships headed to the Black Sea just before that period described as provocative by the Russian authorities. So does the panel not see any role where Russia in this sense is acting defensively because the facts to me would indicate that they are. Coming up, the concerns about Daly and Wallace's views on authoritarian regimes and their use of European Parliament speaking times.
There have also been concerns about Daly and Wallace's use of their European Parliament platform to champion views which are shared by various authoritarian governments. What kind of views are we talking about? I think it's useful to talk about the case of Belarus, where the dictator Alexander Lukashenko holds, you know, a reign where there is no free media. Opposition figures are arrested en masse. There's been brutal repression of massive protests in favour of a fair democracy and accusations that he's rigging elections to keeping to keep himself in power, which is quite a widely held view. Um, in this context, the opposition leader, uh, Svetlana Tikhanovska, so who she is, is her husband is actually imprisoned by the regime. He was a rival presidential candidate to Alexander Lukashenko. When he was imprisoned, she actually took his place in elections. And now she's become a leading figure of the opposition. And she came to visit the European Parliament, where Mick Wallace confronted her. In this confrontation, um, Wallace accused her of essentially being a Western puppet. Western interference has seldom worked in my lifetime. I'd like to see Lukashenko gone too. But I'd like to see him gone by the Belarusian people and without Western interference. The more interference from the West, the more legitimacy he will have to dig in and to hold on. You don't need him. And this was replayed by actually state television in Belarus. So the television that's controlled by the government of Alexander Lukashenko, it was replayed to show that Svetlana Tikhanovska didn't get a warm reception in Europe and to discredit her. Another example of this is one when the regime of Lukashenko forced the Ryanair flight to land, if you remember this, and yeah. arrested a journalist who was aboard and his girlfriend. On Claire Daly and Mick Wallace's podcast, Claire Daly said that this journalist who was arrested, uh, Roman Protasevich, was a pretty unsavory guy, as someone who had neo-Nazi links with people in Ukraine. And that particular claim about neo-Nazi links, that, that was quickly debunked by Agence France Presse. It was being spread first in Russian language media, but then in other languages with two photographs, a few photographs of people that kind of looked like him that were dressed in Nazi garb. But Agence France Presse actually tracked down the people in the photos and interviewed them. And it wasn't him at all. And this claims about Protasevich is described by the sort of debunking website EU versus disinfo mm. as deliberate disinformation to discredit Protasevich, to make people care less about his imprisonment, essentially. And also this theme about far-right links in Ukraine, this is part of a broader conspiracy theory that's promoted by Moscow, which is to paint the Kiev government, which opposes the occupation of Crimea, obviously, and also leans towards Europe. It's quite pro-European to portray it as fascist. Um, they see the revolution of 2014 in, in Ukraine in very different light. They call it a fascist coup. And that is something that's also been reflected by Mick Wallace in multiple amendments. He submits amendments to resolutions in the European Parliament that insert things like uh, neo-Nazi takeover in Ukraine, the far right in Ukraine, things like that. Um, so he's tried to get this particular theory, which is supported by Moscow, into amendments in the European Parliament. Naomi, you have done some research recently into how Daly and Wallace are being reported on by the media in places like Belarus and Russia. What have you uncovered? They actually get a lot of coverage in those languages, perhaps actually much more coverage than they get at home in Ireland. So whenever they stand up and make a speech in which they disparage opposition figures and support a regime point of view, which they do repeatedly, 
that then gets replayed in local media. In China as well, recent declarations by Claire Daly about China not being a threat and that, you know, we shouldn't worry about Chinese militarization and that really it's the West which is the aggressor. To be honest, I don't even know why we're actually discussing this issue at all. China is our biggest trading partner. It's displayed no military hostility to the EU. And its claims to be a defensive actor are actually backed up by the facts. That got extensive play in the media controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. So these kind of interventions and speeches that they make in the European Parliament are found to be very, very useful by authoritarian regimes, which then use them for their own propaganda purposes to influence their own people. So to say to their own people, look, our point of view has international support. Here's an MEP in the European Parliament who is supporting what we're saying and speaking in favour of our regime talking points. Wallace and Daly are frequent contributors to parliamentary debates uh, in Europe. How do those debates tend to work and how have the pair been using the system to extend their speaking times? Both Claire Daly and Mick Wallace are very committed MEPs When they're not traveling around to places like Iraq, Syria, Venezuela, Ecuador, they are constant presences in the European Parliament. They're very distinctive. Um, They have a distinctive style of dress. They're on the scene, particularly Mick Wallace spends a lot of his time waiting for opportunities to speak. There's a system in the European Parliament where you can apply to have extra speaking time if not all the speaking time is used up in a particular debate. Because they're members of the, the smallest political group in the European Parliament, the left group, they would typically get less speaking time than others that have more votes, essentially, in among the EU general population. But because they submit requests to speak at the end of debates when there's extra speaking time, they actually have clocked up an enormous amount of speaking time. Mick Wallace has, has given more plenary speeches than any other Irish MEP. The next one after that is Sean Kelly of Fine Gael. And after that, not far behind is Claire Daly. They have quite an outsized speaking time in the European Parliament and that hasn't gone unnoticed by other MEPs. Have either Claire Daly or Mick Wallace spoken about their censure and how their conversations are going down across the European Parliament? Neither of the MEPs would respond to my emails, calls and texts to try and get their point of view on the broader piece that I wrote about the discomfort with their voicing of views that align with those of authoritarian governments in European parliaments and using their speaking time, legislative power and also media platforms to do so. Maybe we'll hear something about it on their podcast. That remains to be seen. They did issue a statement, however, after they were censured earlier last week um, for their unofficial election monitoring missions. And they called it a political stunt by the centre-right parties in the European Parliament. And they said they would be challenging it. They said that they made it clear that they weren't on official election observations and that their decision to go wasn't influenced by those governments. And they just said that they have a long-term interest in the region and they don't trust um, media reports about what's really going on there. So they travelled to build solidarity with left-wing movements in those countries. They also called on the EU to abandon its policy of foreign interference in Latin American democracies. So that was the um, the statement that they issued. On the issue of whether or not they made it sufficiently publicly clear that they weren't official election monitors, if we look at their tweets, it wasn't actually mentioned 
They did mention it on their podcast, but only after discussing the election for some time. Naomi Leary, thank you very much for talking to us. In the News will be back on Monday. <laughs>